0: Good uh, morning. If we haven't met, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed, and I am going to be sharing with you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm excited that, uh, that you guys chose to come and uh, experience one of our uh, Worship in the Round services. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, what we're having tonight, but it is, it is some of the most beautiful worship that we, we get to experience out of the whole year, and I would love for you to just change all your plans and make sure and be there. No, that's just shame-based leadership on my part, but it's just, it's just, it's just such a beautiful space. Um, and also, we're gonna have baptisms. And the thing is, uh, some of you are are supposed to be baptized, but you're fighting it. And so, I'd love for you just to show up tonight in your normal clothes and fight it there in the room, because uh, we have towels for you so that you can go home dripping wet and filled with Jesus. So uh, we don't mind. We don't mind. Um, this uh, this little series called God Song. The whole idea of the series was to talk about what it means to uh, kind of shift our presence and shift the way in which we enter into worship with God. Last week, we talked about his presence. We talked about his omnipresence, which is the presence that basically states he is everywhere that we are and everywhere we aren't all at the same time, that, that you can't get far from God. And then also we talked about his manifest presence, which is this presence that says uh, that you can actually uh, kind of focus in on something very specific with God, and you can ask Him very specific things, and that's a really beautiful and important part of being a Christian. Today, though, uh, today we're gonna we're just gonna kind of take the gloves off a little bit. Uh, if you are if you are a brand new guest, if you have never experienced Kessin, uh, today's service could get a little intense for you, and uh, I just I just want you to hold on. And, uh, and maybe come out and, and check us out on another week because we do really, we really love having people who are spiritually curious, who are on a journey with uh, who we believe to be the creator. I know we have a lot of folks who don't even believe in God, but for some reason you just feel like you're supposed to be here. We think that's God talking to you. But uh, today is, is going to be a lot for people uh, that, that haven't walked with God a long time. But if you have walked with God a long time, uh, today I think could be uh, life changing for you. Because today we're gonna talk about your posture. Your posture when you enter into God's presence. If I was to ask you right now, just to evaluate in your own life, how is your posture, your personal posture, not your spouses, not your friends, not your pastors, not a buddy, but your personal posture, then uh, what would you say? How would you engage with that? I don't think many times we really think about our posture when it comes to God. We show up at church and we listen to a message and we sing some songs. And then we try to apply this stuff to our lives, but we don't necessarily uh, apply it to our lives in such a way that it changes how we react to God. Uh, The Bible's full of people whose posture was changed when they came into the presence of God. And it usually all kind of resulted in some of the the more typical ways. So, for example, in Leviticus 9, uh, Aaron and Moses are about to present an offering before the Lord, a sacrifice. And so they have an animal that uh, has been killed. It's presented to God, and this is what it says happened. It says, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces because that's what fire from God does. Matthew 17 is a New Testament version of this. It says, he was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. You might think, well, that's, that's all Bible days. you know. That I don't know if that really applies to us now. Awesome, awesome. I got a verse for you. Revelations, which is speaking forward to the end of days, and it says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. It seems that the presence of God has a very specific effect upon the posture of men and women. It ushers them into an instant reality that calls them to account for the fact that he is God and we are not. That there becomes an immediate separation. Whenever you start to consider the presence of God, there is suddenly an immediate difference between what he is and where he is and what you are and where you are. Psalm 111 reflects this kind of insight about God. This is what this passage says when it comes to the Lord that we are all supposed to be praising. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright and the congregation like we're sitting right now. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And in closing, his praise endures forever. There's a whole lot of forevers in here. There's a whole lot of reminders that, that God's presence Uh, is something that isn't just for a time being that we are supposed to interact with, that it's something instead we're supposed to constantly be seeking, constantly be hoping to understand, and constantly be driving ourselves toward. But it's hard because this sort of experience reminds us that we aren't the center of the universe. And if you're really quiet enough within your own person, you will recognize that ultimately, most of us would like to be. See, there's a a Danny within this Danny that uh, would love to be the center of his universe. I know that this Danny exists every single time I get into an argument with my wife because I just want her to know that I'm right and that she's wrong. She's over here right now, so I'm just gonna look this way and know that she's wrong (laughs) and that I've thought through my argument and that she just needs to understand that, that although it's painful, if she would just listen to me, everything would be better. <laughs> any, of those, any, any of those husbands in here right now? Any of those boyfriends in here right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'd like to share that after coming up on 25 years marriage, I've been married to this lady uh, next week, 25 years. Uh, <laughs> I can say that she's right probably 70% of the time. I don't say that proudly. I say that with a lot of frustration and angst because I, I'm thoughtful about my arguments. The problem is my wife just is much more reserved. She's much more still. And, and she lets me kind of trip up into stuff and then points out like, well, that's, that's what I was talking about. This is that thing that I was mentioning to you. See, we, we all have this desire inside of ourselves. If you're really quiet, you gotta be really quiet and you gotta ask really, really self-reflective questions, but we all have this desire to be right. That's why it, it just irks us so much when somebody proves us wrong. We should be like, oh, thank you for sharing that information. Oh, thank you for teaching me that. Oh, thank you for helping me to understand, but we don't. Mine shows up in my chest and usually burns hot. I don't know what yours feels like. Yeah, and that's my little man lighting a torch and saying, I will burn everything down unless you listen to me. (laughs) And you might think that's really sad that he he struggles that way, but I'm just actually here to tell you, you all have this little man or woman inside you. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about it. Jeremiah, God's talking about these people. It's not just these people, it's all people. This is how he describes us. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season because we all know that the Lord sends rain and rain is good. The autumn rain and the spring rain and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your inequities have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. This is just the reality of the human condition. And since God refuses to share his glory, we need to realize that when it comes to our posture of pride, God does not mess around. He just doesn't. He knows that he is the greatest good you can ever receive, even if that good shows up in a way that causes you to hurt inside or your little man to fade in brightness. Proverbs 16, verse 5, The Lord detests all the proud of heart, not just some of the proud of heart, by the way, all the proud of heart and be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. They will not go undisciplined. They will not go uncorrected because he loves you that much. And so he says, hey, you're on this wide road. The Bible talks a lot about wide road, narrow road. I don't know if you've ever put this together. The thing about the narrow road is that Jesus is, it's only as wide as Jesus. So when he stops and you want to go forward and you're like, hey, I got stuff to do. And he's like, nah, I think we're going to camp here tonight. It's, it's angsty if you're driven like me. I'm like, I don't have time for camping and conversation with you. I have a church to lead, Jesus. <laughs> and I don't know if you've known this, but, but the, wi- the wide road isn't necessarily full of all sin and darkness. The wide road is just when you decide to step around Jesus widely and say, I'll come back and see you in the morning and you head off on your own. This is the wide road. Some of us have built lives on wide roads. We've just asked Jesus to, to sit aside. We've asked Jesus to, to, to just watch. Watch my plans. Watch my desires. Watch what I have in place. Watch me when I'm proven right. Watch what happens. But Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen says, we're not supposed to be people who draw us to ourselves for our own beauty, for our own glory, for the, the thing that we've built, even if that thing is a ministry. Ezekiel, it says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrected corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor so even if you're dialed in even if everything about your life is good even if every at least from the outside everything is is smooth and easy some of you that is actually your god that is actually what you worship is the smoothness of the life you've created and so you don't camp with jesus You don't climb with Jesus, you don't pause with Jesus, you don't jog with Jesus, you don't really do anything with Jesus, except for show up on Sunday and add him to the smooth collection that is your spiritual scout vest with a little patch that says, I attend Sunday mornings, because that adds really well to the splendor of you. Hmm. I don't know who that was for, but you know if that was for you, don't you? Yeah, some of you are spiritual scouts in this room, aren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. I've been that way, i functioned that way. And it gets tired, tiring to live that way. I learned a while ago that uh, if I will just follow God where he asked me to go, how he asked me to get there, every single time, it may not be my pace, it may not be my way, it may not be the path that I want, but every single time I will end up there more whole, more healed, more myself, and most of all, more knowing, him but you got to call on him to experience that sort of path second chronicles if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land notice that all we have to do is call on his name humble ourselves pray and seek basically we just have to completely change our posture that's it Just humble yourself, right? Focus on God, knowing that you can't do it alone. Actually ask him by proclaiming, hey God, I can't do this alone, I need your help. And then say, God, I'm coming, where are you? This is a big, giant change in posture. It appears much of reality is determined by the posture of our hearts. If we will change the posture of our hearts, then oftentimes our reality will change. In that passage, we are being asked to humble ourselves and refuse the stubbornness and pride so ever present in those who came before us. And when we choose to do this, something incredible happens. God pauses at one of those campfire conversations, one of those experiences, usually not a comfortable one. He looks into your eyes And he says, hey, the heart that you currently possess is too hard. And you have to have a soft heart for the next part of this journey. So I'm going to take the one that you have. I'm going to give you a new one. And you might think, because, you know, Christians like to sell this stuff, that that's like a beautiful experience. I mean, it's like so good. Like, God's like, take my ugly black heart, and he gives me this bright, beautiful red one. And I just wake up in the morning, and I'm like, oh! Is that love that I feel? You're like the Grinch when all of a sudden he started feeling better and it was like, uh, uh, and your heart grew three sizes in one day. It's not like that, folks. It's actually quite horrifying. Just being honest. Because here's the thing about Danny with a hard heart. And I love, I, I'm just confessing this right now. Danny with a hard heart, you should see how much he can get done. And you should see how good he is with critique. I mean, my heart is so hard. People are like, I don't like this. And I'm like, uh, that didn't hurt at all. I don't care what you think. People are like, I don't know if this is really a good posture for you, pastor. And I'm like, well, you're not in charge. <laughs> it's an ugly picture, but it's true. I, uh, I remember one time I was, uh, I had a season of really, really, really hard-heartedness and it led to a huge, huge youth ministry. I was in my mid-20s. And uh, I just decided to double down on this anointing that God gave me to talk to people. And I was married with a couple kids. And I didn't have as much time for that as I did to use this anointing because clearly God gave me this gift and I have to use it for Him because people might go to hell unless Danny preaches a really good sermon. So I doubled down on everything I did for like a year and a half straight. Our youth group grew from like 40 kids to 1,000. And all those kids loved me, I was shiny borderline sparkly. <laughs> you ever been so far from God that you're shiny, borderline sparkly, that you yourself are like, oh man, I feel pretty good about my life. I'm making some good choices. People would critique, but I didn't care because I was busy giving the, 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 the community of, that I was a part of my best self. My wife heard me tell this story on Thursday. And on the drive home, she let me know, hey, remember, remember that season that you just talked about? And I'm like, yeah, and you kind of mentioned that you weren't really there for us. And I was like, yeah. I was like, where is this going? And she goes, I just want you to know, <laughs> this is 25 years of marriage, so just relax. If you haven't been married that long, this is gonna come across lethal. But, <laughs> but I knew what she meant. She goes, I just want you to know that I know that everybody else thought you were shiny, borderline sparkly, but from the outside, when it came to you as a husband, I thought you were like the color and flavor of hot garbage. Mm, mm, right. That's when I turned up the worship music and I just laid hands on her and I was like, Lord, <laughs> Lord, clearly this woman is hurting. <laughs> I spoke three ser- three point sermon real quick and everything got better. No, actually, uh, I just kind of sat there and I go, yeah. She goes, yeah, because everything in your life was about that crowd and that group and that ministry. And you just forgot about us for like a year and a half. I knew this because we've done some therapy, but I had never had her put a, like a flavor profile on it before. That was new. That was new. See, I know this about me. <laughs> There's a lot of other hot garbage husbands in the house right now, isn't there? You're just like, yeah, that was me. That was me. I know this about me. I know that that little person inside of me that wants to be the center of the universe, that he doesn't die well, he doesn't fade well, he doesn't transform well. And so when God asked me for my heart of stone, I didn't want to give it to him. And so what I honestly just had to do is I had to tell him like, Jacob, you're going to have to wrestle it out of me, God. I want you to have it. I know it's best that you have it, but you're going to have to break me open to take it because I'm just not going to give it to you like this. And so I had to leave that church and plant this one. <laughs> and this thing kicks my butt for like five years. That's how hard-hearted I was five years that I had to continually go before God and not turn this ministry into that ministry. And every time the voices would come because God was replacing my heart. Do you know the problem when you have a soft heart, when you have a replaced heart, when you have a heart, you're trying to get a heart like God is like, people can poke you and you're like, ouch, like be nice. People can spear you. People can cut you and you will bleed. And time and time again, I was like, God, do you mind just putting that other heart back in me? Because it was so much easier. But he knew that that heart would lead to death and destruction, to self-worship and self-grandizing and self-focus and self-idolizing and all the other things that the Bible is full of, people who worshipped the product instead of the power of the one who we're supposed to sing and speak about. This is how we become new creations. By by owning the fact that we aren't new creations. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we have to be people who recognize that our posture without Jesus is a posture of self-realization, of self-focus, of of self-achievement, and not a posture that focuses upon Jesus and who he's called us to be. This not only has an effect on how we worship It has an effect on how we live. Our posture in life determines so much about how we interact with the world around us. This is that principle of integration that we've talked about a little bit here at Kesset. Last week, I had the privilege of speaking to a group of Portland pastors about what it means to be in a church uh, that that promotes and talks about emotional health. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but very few pastors from stage tell people they have a therapist. Because most pastors are supposed to stand on stage and tell you that they have all the answers. And by saying that I have a therapist, clearly I'm letting you know I don't. And not only do I have answers, I probably have problems. (sighs) So these guys were like, how how is that happening there? And I said, well, it's not just how it happened. It's really ultimately that it had to happen because I got tired of being like nine different Dannys. They're like, well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know if you know this, but without realizing that you and I have to go through transformation, the way that we will succeed is just by compartmentalizing our lives into areas we can easily manage. So there's a pastor, Danny, the one on stage. Then there's a husband, Danny, the one that lives with my wife. Then there's a father, Danny. Then there's Danny in Costco. (laughs) Then there's Danny in traffic. Then there's Danny, then there's Danny, then there's Danny. So I put up a picture of that. You know that when you get bread and you get the oil and you get the vinegar? And so I, my therapist and I came up with this illustration for me because I needed to understand it. And he said, here's the goal of integration. There's the five different Dannys in this illustration. The goal is that we're going to work on this Danny and that Danny becoming one Danny. So let's just start here. Let's just start with Pastor Danny and Husband Danny being the same person. And I was like, ooh, I'd have to be a lot more vulnerable as Pastor Danny, and I'd probably have to be uh, a lot more teachable as Husband Danny. And that is not an easy task to, to, to embark on. Then once that one happened, we went to the third. Now let's take Danny at Costco, just Danny out in the world. Then we're going to take Danny in traffic, which he did not enjoy this at all. But slowly we're integrating to where there's now just one Danny, Who's, who doesn't really think that highly of the gifts, but knows he's supposed to show up and do what God's called him to do. Who knows he could be a better husband, but is also grateful for the areas of strength and support he has been for his wife. Who knows he could be a better dad, but is also willing to show up and engage his kids in a way that says, Hey, I, I, I just I want to take a risk, and, and I have adult children, so speak into your world. Because adult kids, those of you with little kids... Uh, listen, they're tough, but when they're adult, it's a different ballgame, because like, they mess up in this age. They just go to prison, right? It's different than time out. <laughs> it's just a different caliber of, of risk. You know, uh, you can, used to be able to stand them in a corner. Now I'm standing them in Clark County Jail. It's just not the same thing. And so the idea is that you, the idea, by the way, none of my kids have been to jail. So for those of you who are like, which child was it? Elena, up in Children's right now with the rhino costume. She's not who you think she is, folks. She's crazy. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, my poor kids. Yeah. As you integrate and as we integrate the people that we're called to be, suddenly there is rest because I don't have to worry about being too much in one room and not enough in the other. I just am going to be who I am, where I am, how I am, following Jesus, who Camps way too much, wants to have way too much quiet time with me, wants to have way too much conversation and, and and wrestle through hard stuff. I just want to get stuff done. And he's like, We are getting stuff done in your heart of stone that I'm transforming into a heart of flesh. That's his priority. With me and with you. Without integration, our posture changes depending on who we are with or what we're doing. Uh, this week, because I, I, I have a pet peeve with pastors who talk about stuff they used to wrestle with, like I remember 15 years ago I used to wrestle with this, I talk about stuff that I currently wrestle with and I was, I was on my way home from here uh, and I got behind a car about halfway between here and home that decided not to do 40 miles an hour, but instead decided to do 25 miles an hour. Can you believe it, right? Okay, these guys get it back here. I'm just going to preach to this row right here, just you guys, you guys get it. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, listen, I don't know if you know this, but you can get in an accident going too slow as well, right? right? So I wanted to save this person's life. So I encouraged them by driving closer to their bumper than I probably would have. And I quietly said within myself, you need to go. I have things to do. They just, they didn't care at all. They just kept going. They just kept going. They kept taking turn after turn and I could not get around them because they were going the same place I was. And then I suddenly realized as we turned into my neighborhood, oh, this is my neighbor. And so I slowly backed off and then I went another entrance into the neighborhood so that she couldn't put two and two together. See, once, once I realized who she was, once her presence became real, it changed my posture. This is what happens, is supposed to happen with God. Once we realize his presence is there, it's supposed to change our posture. This is our body telling on us. Because some of you in this room, you don't realize that your posture is changing when you're with people, even though inside you're pretending to be fine. So that's those of us who, who pout, When we don't get our way inside, we're fine. We showed up, but on the outside, we have our arms crossed and we're quiet and still and kind of kind of uh, our eyes are basically saying, I don't like you, even though we didn't say it with our mouths. Those of us who rage, but we're like, no, I'm just expressing my feelings. But people around you experience it as rage. Your body will tell on you time and time and time again, especially when you're not integrated. I was at the zoo two and a half, three weeks ago. There was a little girl year and a half old. Uh, She had a pink like a ski jacket on with a hood and she was running around having the time of her life. Everybody thought it was great except the dad because he clearly wanted to show her all these beautiful rare animals like the bear that was hidden behind the tree. But all this little girl cared about were the pigeons that she could see right in front of her. So she chased pigeons for like 10 minutes while he kept trying to draw her attention back to the bear and then all of a sudden the bear came out from behind the tree and it was like clearly she can't miss this and so he rushes over and he scoops her up and I'm on the outside of her so I can see her face and she doesn't scream she doesn't cry she just gives up on life. She just kind of closed her eyes kind of closed her eyes, let her arms and legs swing, let her even her little mouth open because she just was like, I don't care about what you're trying to show me. And he brought her over because he didn't know that she had her eyes closed. And he's like, look at the bear, how big it is, how huge it is, how rare it is. Isn't it exciting? And she was still. And he goes, see, I told you, if you would just listen to me, I could show you this beautiful thing. And then he sat her back down and she came alive and started chasing pigeons again. Some of us, that's how you follow Jesus. He's like, I want to show you this beautiful thing. I want to show you this beautiful life. I want to show you this beautiful marriage. I want to give you a beautiful story. And you're like, but the pigeons. And he's like, listen, I'm going to pick you up, but your body is lying. And even though you're here right now, even though you're watching right now, listening right now, you think you're actually enjoying the scene and and along for the ride, but you're really not. Your eyes are closed. Your presence is slack. You've kind of just given up on this life that God's asked you to live, and you're just waiting for Him to let you go so you can go chase the pigeons of your own choosing. But He has more for you than that. He has a new heart, He has restoration, He has something beautiful. See, I want to be very clear you cannot worship that way. You cannot worship like that little girl. Not only because it's disingenuous, worse, because God will not receive that kind of follower. He won't do it. Isaiah 111, this is to all my beautiful Christ following, uh, limp, soft, given up, and frustrated with God Christians. Who still think they get to give their money sing their songs and that God's accepting it, even though your heart is fully disengaged. God says to you and to me for those seasons, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. Mm, We'll just just sit there for a second because some of you need to hear it again. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Then he picks apart all their celebrations. New moons and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and your solemn assembly." Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. Whew. I am weary of bearing them. Have you ever considered maybe that your and my inconsistent, compartmentalized worship? Not only does God not accept it, it actually burdens him. I am weary of bearing them. Then he says this, when you spread out your hands, this is a picture of a disingenuous worshiper, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. See, you can't perform for God. That's not what he wants. He wants all of you the dark parts of you, the shadow parts of you, the compartmentalized parts of you. He wants the parts that are insecure. He wants the parts that are afraid. He wants the ugly parts. He wants the parts that are unforgiven, that you've not let go. He wants your fear, your failure, and every single thing in between. This is a dark and heavy picture. This Isaiah chapter one. And it's a picture of all of us. It's a picture of people like us Raising our hands in worship only for God to say, I will not receive that praise, for those hands are covered in the blood of pride. But on the other hand, when you have a posture of humility, it's like God tears through the forest to get to your offering. My therapist, uh, I've shared this with some of you before. My therapist shared a story with me that was meant to help me posture well during a hard season when I was frustrated, frankly, with this place and with this job. I don't know if you can tell or not, but uh, this job is is a strange one, um, especially when you're built like me. Uh, guys like me, for whatever, let's just get super vulnerable, super real. Guys like me usually blow up and burn out so that calmer guys... That, uh, that took a, a different road, a less public road, can come and clean up the mess. And then I end up working at Arby's while you walk in with your friends and you're like, that used to be our pastor over there. And by the way, I love Arby's. So if you work at Arby's, good to go. But <laughs> he told me that he uh, was, a, was a younger man and he really wanted to be like Jesus. So he started praying to God. God, I wanna be like you. Show me how to be like you. And he was driving by and he uh, drove by the, the uh, bus station, I think it was. And he saw a man standing outside that was trying to get a ticket home. And he was like, Jesus, do you want me to buy this man a ticket home? And he felt like Jesus was like, yeah, I do. I want you to buy this man a ticket home. And so he walked up to the man, and he's like, hey, I'm supposed to buy you a ticket home. And the guy just started weeping, and he goes, it was almost Christmas time, and he needed to go home. He needed to fix some stuff in his family. And so my my therapist said that he felt that he was supposed to do that, but he's going to be a good steward. He's going to be wise of how he helps because Jesus is wise of how he helps. So he said, well, I'm not just going to give you cash. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to buy your ticket myself. And the guy goes, whatever you need to do, thank you. Thank you. They went inside and he bought the gentleman's ticket home, and hugged, and he left. And he said, Jesus, thank you so much for teaching me what it meant to be like you. And then he realized at that same moment that he had left his debit card in the window. So he turned around and went up to the window and And uh, assuming the guy had left and got his debit card, and as he was leaving, he realized the guy was still there, but that couldn't be because he was supposed to be on a bus. And as he got a little closer, he realized the gentleman was cashing in his ticket for cash. And his chest turned on fire because his little man lit up and was like, see, he got you. He got you. And he was going to confront him, but remember, he wants to be like Jesus. He's like, nope, nope, lesson learned. I must have not prayed enough. I must have not understood enough. I didn't ask the right questions. So he got in his car and he drove off infuriated. He got a few miles from the the bus station and he was like, God, I'm so sorry I wasn't able to be like you. I'm so sorry that I didn't ask the right questions. I'm so sorry that I didn't steward your finances well. I'm so sorry. And he stopped and he got this clear, clear image from the Lord because the Lord said, hey, stop. You asked to be like me. And what just happened in that bus station is exactly who I am. See Jesus Christ is godable. Over and over and over again he believed in people who kept cashing in his love. Over and over and over with full knowledge and insight, he said I choose you, and they went, "Oh yeah, I choose you back." And he knew they wouldn't when it really mattered. Over and over and over he was gotten And so this man wanted to be like Jesus. That's what it feels like to be like Jesus. It doesn't feel awesome to have your heart ripped out, especially when it's a heart of flesh. But if you want to be like Jesus and have a posture like Jesus, then people are gonna get you. And you'll want to shell up and armor up and protect yourself because it's easier. But being like Jesus isn't easy. And that's why every night he wants to camp with you and talk with you and confront you and wrestle with you because every night he wants to heal those wounds so you can go out and be gotten the next day and the next day and the next day. And time and time again, you can show people love who don't deserve it just like you're shown love and don't deserve it. This is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that went down and was baptized in the water by a man who smelled like old camel. Like John literally was the outsider of outsiders. He was preparing the way for the one who had no sin whose hands were not covered in blood unlike ours, the blood of pride. And he shows up and he asks John to baptize him. And John says, I'm not gonna baptize you. I I can't do it, you're clean, I'm dirty. And he says, John, This is your job. See, what's happening in this picture is John is of the tribe of Levi, and John's parents, more specifically, are of the Aaronic tribe. They're of the Aaronic bloodline, I should say. And that is what priests do. They bring forward the sacrifice before God, and that's what John was doing by taking Jesus and baptizing him. He was bringing him forward to be the sacrifice for you and for me so that the rest of the passage in Isaiah chapter 1 can actually come true, which goes like this. This is a gift for all of you. I hope you read it all week long, over and over and over. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's the rest of the passage. That's the rest of the whole thing. When you and I ask God to replace our hearts of stone, we can stand in that space knowing that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our hands that are once covered with the blood of pride can be cleansed top to bottom, forgiven top to bottom, and we can go back out in that world and love and love and love. And yes, people will take advantage. And yes, they will attack. And yes, they will come after you. But over and over and over again, you will sit with Jesus and he will heal your heart And he will heal your story. And he will give you a different perspective. And you will be able to raise your hands in worship like you never had before. That's what the baptism tonight's about. That's what the songs we're singing are about. It's not a gimmick. It's not a way to grow attendance. I don't care. We don't have enough parking spots for you all anyways. It's like, we got room for 45 people. That's all we got. We are here because Jesus has asked us to be here, and it's his church, and it's his glory. And so we will baptize whoever shows up. We will love. We will heal. We will experience him, and we will worship him right where we are as we are. And it will be more than enough to him. And some of you will fake it. Let's just be honest. Some of you will try to worship with your pride. You'll get him. You're going to get him. And he's going to let you get him. Until he doesn't. My hope is tonight maybe is the first time you've ever experienced worship that didn't come from a place of making sure you look good or sound good or feel good. But instead, just bring him worship because he loves you so much in spite of how and where You've lived your life. This is the God we serve. This is the love he brings. So I'm going to have the team come up, and uh, I'm going to change the closing song. So we're going to do the stand again, because uh, I just feel it on my heart that, um, that some of you, you need, to, uh, you need to experience it. What I want you to do is not stand up unless you feel it sometime in the song. I want you just to stay in your seats. I want you to reflect. I want you to feel, and I want to see what God wants to do with it. It's a little off script, and uh, we're going to be just fine with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, there's people in here right now who have actually never worshipped you. They have never, they have never thanked you for the things you've got them through. You've, they, have, they have taken advantage of you. I have taken advantage of you. There are people in here who have never asked for repentance. There are people in here who don't even know you. And so, Lord, for anybody in here who doesn't know you, I'm just gonna, if there's no magic prayer if you don't know who Jesus is. It's this simple. You simply say, God, it's me. I'm tired of lying to myself, and I'm tired of lying to you. Please forgive me through your son, through the sacrifice of his life. Please restore me for your glory, not my own gain. Please remind me of why it is I've been seeking you so long, even if I've been doing it through pride. There's other people in here, Lord, who have been playing a lot of games with you for a while. They've been playing games with their money, playing games with their marriage, playing games with their friendship, and certainly playing games with their faith. And so, Lord, I ask in this space right now that uh, that there would be deep and heartfelt conviction that they would feel your presence not in a way that is condemning, but in a way that is forgiving and restoring and loving. God, may this series put to death all the church games, all the politics, all the posturing, and instead, may we with great humility come before you like children do before a father, raising our hands to be lifted high because we love you, not because of anything we've done, but because of who you are. May today be a fresh start. May you bless tonight and receive all the glory from it. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: You stood before creation. ETERNITY IN YOUR HAND AND YOU SPOKE THE EARTH INTO MOTION MY SOUL NOW TO STAND YOU STOOD BEFORE MY FAILURES you carried that cross for my shame as you did my sin weighed upon your shoulders my soul now to stand so what can I say what can I do Heart, oh God completely to you and so I walk upon salvation your spirit alive in me life to declare your promise my soul now to stand so what can I say oh we give you everything and what can I do but offer this heart oh God again completely So we respond, Lord. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. And I'll stand with my soul, Lord, to you surrender. All I am is yours. So I A heart you can have a life, yes. We surrender it all, all completely over, over, over to you. So we'll stand. Sing it out, church. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who. in all of you so i Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Thank you for risking. Thank you for bringing your full selves. We are super expectant of what God is doing in this place, specifically tonight, the worship night. It's going to be amazing. We really hope that you guys come back. Bring your family, bring some friends, and we will see you guys there tonight. Have an awesome afternoon, okay? We love you all.